0: Right now, we sp- we're going to be speaking to Masupa Mushweshwe, who's a green economy specialist at Infrastructure South Africa. Um, like I said, we're going to be speaking to Infrastructure South Africa quite a bit. Uh, Dr. Ramakopa uh, is, is roaming around somewhere here. I think he's listening to the president's opening address, and as soon as that's done, we'll have a chat with him. But Masupa, thank you so much for your time. Really, really do appreciate it that you're able to join us here. You know, just now I had a conversation with uh, Minister and, and and I raised my concerns around the cost, burden that green hydrogen energy presents. It's not a cheap exercise, especially comparative to other forms of green energy. Um, Can you perhaps walk us through the mind of infrastructure South Africa as far as green hydrogen energy is concerned as part of our energy mix and part of our integrated resource plan? Um, Because it's an expensive exercise for a country with very little money to be an early investor in.
1: Well, I think um, it's worth laying a bit of the background, which is Green hydrogen is not meant to be a mass fuel to replace sort of other elements that can be decarbonized through renewable energy. From an efficiency perspective, if you could decarbonize something like the electric grid through renewable energy, that's where you start. Uh, If you can add in battery technology in terms of storage, you go there next. So what green hydrogen is aimed at is what are called hard to abate sectors. So sectors that you can't do that with, you know? So you can't do that with, aviation, you can't do that with shipping, you can't do that with cement production, you can't do that with steel manufacturing. So it has a very niche element that it's focused on, but these are high emitting sectors. So maybe that's I think the first thing. The second one is that from uh, an investment perspective, the role that government is playing is in terms of creating the conducive environment for investment. As you say, we have a fiscus that's constrained, And really where we're sort of seeing a lot of this activity is not by government leading, it's government saying we are open to facilitate, uh, to uh, uh, be a partner to the private sector, but this is all private sector capital that's flowing in. Um, The opportunity for South Africa is to position ourselves for the long term in this niche growing sector. So in order to sort of keep that one and a half degrees of global warming within reach, uh, it's estimated that green hydrogen would end up being somewhere around twenty percent of global energy supply by two thousand fifty, and you can imagine what that means
0: yeah uh, maybe let 's also then have a conversation about the role of government if it 's all private sector funding, sure the role of government will necessarily be one of a referee, regulatory in its in its in its purest form. Do we have the right regulatory and legislative framework for an enabling Environment uh, that will bolster the production of green hydrogen energy, but also the export thereof. Sure.
1: So, so from a South Africa perspective, because we're not close to Europe, this wouldn't move in the form of gas. In order to be transported to off-take markets, it would be transported in the form of ammonia, green ammonia. So that would have offtakes in the likes of uh, Japan and the Far East, where Japan is looking to co-fire ammonia in their coal-fired power stations to reduce their emissions. Ammonia is a tradable commodity already. We're already a large supplier. So in that sense, it's not a new commodity for us. And I, and that's an inherent advantage that we have to many other countries who are trying to start this from a right. completely greenfield perspective. So Sasol is already one of the largest producers of gray hydrogen in the world. They produce 2.4 million tons a year. For their own consumption and for supply through chemicals so for us we have that inherent advantage where this is not new to us can you just pause there and
0: and uh, tell us the difference between green and gray hydrogen yeah
1: so as a as the molecule itself once it's formed there's sort of no difference what the color coding talks to is the way in which it's made so green hydrogen has no associated emissions because what you take is large amounts of renewable energy you split water through a process called electrolysis into its hydrogen, remember H2O, into its hydrogen and oxygen components. And that hydrogen is then the building block from which you can use different processes to make what are called power fuels. So you can use methanization to make methanol, you can use uh, Sassol and uh, Petro-SA's proprietary fissure-trop technology to make diesel, petrol, kerosene for jet fuel, uh, you can use sort of multiple elements, it's like um, Lego blocks and you can put yeah. them together in different so, ways. So, so
0: hydrogen the at its atomic form is not the energy source itself, it just becomes an input uh, resource into other energy um, outputs.
1: Yeah, so uh, it is uh, an energy dense molecule and it's able to form these our other power fuels that we associate for sort of different processes for Aviation in the form of kerosene, yeah. uh, methanol for, for shipping and ammonia ultimately for shipping or as a product itself. Ammonia is a much traded sort of global commodity, goes into making fertilizers and other things. Yeah. So, so in that sense, we're fortunate that we're not starting from zero. It's also important that uh, um, we sort of give kudos to the likes of DSI that have been leading green hydrogen research and innovation in South Africa for 15 years. So this is a, um, a, a process 15 years in the making. Yes, there's been a significant shift in the market over yeah. the last two years. Quite a significant shift. So we had initially focused on green hydrogen for its perspective to be a way in which we can use our platinum group metals. So South Africa... Uh, And Zimbabwe hold 90% of world reserves of PGMs, Platinum Group Metals. That's a key component in making um, electrolyzers. Remember we're saying renewable energy powers this uh, electrolyzer. It's a key component in terms of making that. Um, And uh, in mobility, you can use it to uh, uh, produce fuel cells. So it's like a a different engine for a car. It's a fuel cell-based one powered by hydrogen as a way to to drive mobility. So initially when this was focused on, it's like uh, if there's a move away from the internal combustion engine, 30 to 40% of our PGM sales goes into making catalytic converters uh, in uh, internal combustion engine, what's an alternative market? Yeah. But now when we sort of have this focus as the world sort of recovers from COVID in a way which is green, you have to then think around Uh, How do we address these hard-to-abate sectors? And if you're addressing them in the locations where they are in developed economies, then green hydrogen becomes a tradable commodity. So that element has then sort of opened a Pandora's box in terms of opportunity. Would we have
0: greater dividend yield as a country if we... Were are an active participant and not a referee in this space. That is to say, if we had a state-owned energy company that would produce uh, green hydrogen and sell it, that is to say, an active participant. I want you to answer that for me. But before you do, let's just take a quick break. On the other side of this, we continue the conversation. We're taking your news headlines. It is 32 minutes after 9 a.m. You're still listening to The Talking Points. My name is Oliver Dixon. I'm in conversation with Masupa Musweshwe, who's a green economy specialist at Infrastructure South Africa. Should we have a state-owned ent- enterprise? I know it's a political question, and I know it might be a little no, bit unfair really. to you. Uh, no, should no. we have a state-owned enterprise that is a, a producing participant in the space that sells that makes sure that we have a lot of money to put back into the fiscus? Clearly, given if if this becomes twenty percent of the world's production uh,
1: base, you know, it's it's that's a lot of money potentially. So, I guess it's sort of that element of who is best positioned to drive this forward and how. So it is a nascent sector, so there's a significant sort of risk associated with it. Would this be the best use of our capital? Potentially not. It doesn't mean that government can't participate then. So conversations around, does government require or request a free carry in terms of equity participation? Do we invest actively to be an equity participant? Do we charge a royalty? Like what, through the IC? Um, well, the PIC itself, I guess, is not an extension of government. It's a fund of the GPF and has its own mandate. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, we would be looking for uh, participants within the broader uh, investment infrastructure to see opportunity within this.
0: Because government can only be an investor if we had an investment engine. We don't actually, we don't have a sovereign wealth fund going. We don't have a government. Is invest- this an
1: opportunity to form one?
0: Are you saying that, Michelle? <laughs> I'm asking a question.
1: No, I'm I'm provoking. But I think these are the things that ultimately, as this uh, conversation matures, are the things that we need to wrestle with. Because I'm wondering, I'm wondering how
0: we have that dividend trickle down to you and I as taxpayers, as. Um, as, as South Africans, when we listen to these politicians use terms and tell us that we're going to be, as a country, this is where we're going to be playing. And I'm like, how does that improve the life of the ordinary South African? Sure, we'll collect a lot of taxes, but as you say, this is a nascent uh, field. That means we're going to have to structure a lot of concessions, right? DTI and Treasury are probably scratching their head thinking, where do we cut tax concessions and make the necessary concessions? So It's going to take a long while. For you and i as citizens to be able to benefit from this
1: sure so I, a couple of things maybe going back to your previous question government does do some origination work within the space so one of our flagship projects is the Buhu Sabai project this is a project that the northern cape invested in over many years to develop a port and rail project uh, in the sort of northwestern corner of the country as a way of unlocking uh, further mining activity right. as a base for sort of reindustrializing. We gazetted it as a strategic integrated project of government in 2020 uh, and then sort of understood that it needed further assistance in terms of the commercial case for it. Uh, we saw the opportunity then to link it with this sort of niche uh, a green hydrogen sector because you could then have a point of production close to the point of export, Sure. which obviously then cuts down logistics costs, makes you more competitive on the global market, uh, and then effectively went out looking for strategic partners to be able to take this from concept through pre-feasibility to a feasibility stage and do a broader master planning for that. So that concept is something that was ideated by government and then uh, uh, working with the private sector to bring it Uh, to to fruition. So government can originate things in different ways, and we do. I guess coming back to the second element around how does this benefit the ordinary citizen. So one, when we talk around the scale of green hydrogen, some of the numbers are potentially scary. So uh, green hydrogen, in terms of uh, assessments that have been done, could be 20 to 30 billion rand a year, sorry, 20 to 30 billion dollars a year uh, of GDP contribution by 2050. 2050 sounds like a long way away. It's not that long away, but it's it's that's what, 27 years from now? Okay, it's within our lifetime, yes. <laughs> um, hopefully going into retirement by then. Um, but ultimately, it's something that could be a massive contributor. In order to do that, we by then would have to invest somewhere up to around $250 billion. So that brings the... of JetP into context that this is potentially sort of significant numbers and which is why we say government can't be the lead investor in this. This has to mobilize private sector capital. Government can play a role in terms of crowding in private sector capital, which was you are asking, is this around concessions? It's like, how do we offer a blended finance solution? How do we de-risk these projects? Is it only about the capital or could it potentially be around strategic government to government linkages? Uh, that allow for private sectors to be able to secure off-takers, to secure yeah. strong PPAs. You know? So how do we enable the supporting infrastructure such that it doesn't sort of load cost in terms of operating within South Africa versus Chile versus Australia? Because we are competing on a global stage. But the most important number, sorry, is according to estimates, this could create 1.4 million jobs. By when? By 2050, these are 2050 numbers. To also, is put there a halfway t- look? <laughs> do we have a halfway <laughs> mark estimate? Do we have like <laughs> a 10-year <a ten> <laughs> estimate? We got a 20. We got a 2030 number. And 2030 is important because
0: 2030 is what seven years from now. Yes,
1: what we do in the next seven years will lay the basis of whether we have any chance of hitting the 2050 numbers. And some some critical numbers are important in order to. Give ourselves a fighting chance, and that means sort of having large-scale production in operation in the country, which means you would have had to attract the investment. You would have had to have the regulatory framework for you to establish for these businesses to exist. You would have proven yourself as a reliable partner to others that you can make the stuff, you can deliver it at a world competitive price uh, on their shores, etc. is we need to create somewhere around three to six gigawatts of electrolyzer capacity producing green hydrogen by 2030. That would be powered by six to 12 gigawatts of renewable energy. And also remember, through all of our renewable energy IPP programs and bid windows, we have a installed capacity of around six gigawatts. So we say, take all of that and double it by 2030. So there's a lot we need to do within this decade in order to lay the foundation, and that creates opportunity.
0: Uh, Masupa, thank you so much for your time. Really, really, really do appreciate it. Um, Very insightful conversation. I feel a lot more enlightened about the space, uh, the economics of it, and perhaps even the hopefulness of it, because at this stage, (laughs) a lot of stuff are hopeful about this, and I hope that this conference and the summit really uh, aligns the various stakeholders and, and, and make sure that we understand what the collective goal is and what our role individually is towards that goal.
1: Thanks for you.